Hello and welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of Eco Business, Asia Pacific's leading sustainability publication. On today's show, we're going to talk about palm oil with a focus on smallholders, farmers who tend land of 50 hectares or less, but have an enormous impact on production of the world's most used edible oil. Smallholders are responsible for about 40% of palm oil production worldwide. But limited funds and an old-school approach to farming can mean lower yields for many smallholders, who also shoulder much of the blame for problems the palm oil industry is associated with, such as deforestation and the haze from burning peatlands, that is, as we record this podcast, choking large parts of Southeast Asia. To discuss this topic on the podcast today, we have Rukaya Rafiq, also known as Uki, founder of the Indonesian NGO Yayasan Sitara Jambi, which helps smallholder farmers in Indonesia adopt sustainable practices. Also joining us is Ingrid Richardson, a sustainable sourcing specialist at one of the world's biggest buyers of palm oil, Unilever. And from industry certifier, the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, RSPO, which recently introduced a new standard that makes it easier for smallholders to get certified, we have the head of that programme, Ashwin Selvaraj. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hi. Hi. So thanks for joining us on the Eco Business Podcast. First question um, to you, Uki. Obviously, you're on the ground working in Indonesia. Um, One thing that strikes us is that... um, the problem of the haze, smallholders often get much of the blame. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you what do you think of that? Um, actually, the blame is not fair for the, for the smallholders because actually the blame is for us who ignore the sustainability implementation in the ground. Um, why why I said that the blame for us for maybe for NGO for the government for the company for the, every everyone have to have this blame because we only thinking about the oil. We are never thinking and support for the smallholder how they can be better uh, in the in practicing uh, sustainability in the farm. Um, and now I can declare that um, the smallholder try to be to better. In um, for example, they are now uh, uh, joining the RSPO certification or ISCC and ISPO. So. This is also um, um, the effort for the smallholder, uh, how they can be better in the future. But blame is not fair because um, haze is uh, not only from the smallholder, but also from others like company or maybe from the um, uh, government concession. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of the yeah. um, the burning peatlands is, yeah. I mean, obvious, a lot of it's man-made, but some of it's accidental, right? Drop yeah. cigarettes and yeah. untended yeah. cooking yeah. fires. And another thing is, I want to uh, declare that the the all of the smallholder who already certified now, because we already have um, four thousand farm already, already certified certificate uh, RSPO and ISPO and also ISCC, no fire this year. So I'm happy about that. And then that means the sustainability is affected to smallholder how minimize the, uh, and reduce the fire in the ground. Mm. Yeah. So Ashwin, how do you see the, the haze from RSPO's perspective? Um, having looked at, at Global Forest Watch, um, RSPO concessions this year haven't been entirely spared by the haze. Um, yeah, so your view on, on from the pers- smallholder's perspective? Yeah, so the RSPO principles and criteria uh, does not allow the use of fire. 
So that's basically our starting point, right? So as RSPO, we say you're not allowed to use fire. And uh, how do we monitor? So we have put in place some monitoring mechanisms uh, in collaboration with WRI and a few other environmental organizations. And we have an investigation and monitoring unit as well within the Secretariat. So we actually monitor the occurrence of hotspots uh, on a weekly basis. Um, and then once we, uh, if there are any hotspots, like you said, I mean, there are not too many uh, that we have uh, seen in the RSPO concessions, but once you do see something, then we have an action plan in place. So there's an investigation that happens to make sure that where is it really in there, uh, who's the cause of it. And then uh, we have mechanisms through our auditing auditors and the certification bodies to take appropriate actions against the, um, uh, if there are any uh, occurrences of fire on our spill concessions. When it comes to smallholders, uh, they again have to have to comply to the same set of principles, the no use of fire. But in the case of smallholders, we do we also know there are traditionally they've been used to uh, being uh, using fire to clear land because that's also a more economic option for smallholders, and in some cases it's also used to avoid pests and diseases. So it's also used for that purposes. So there are some traditional practices that are there. Changing those practices requires time, and that's why we also have a new standard which looks at taking the taking into account the realities of smallholders and giving them that education training and coming up with alternative ways of what, what is it that you can do without the use of fire, which is also cost effective for them, mm -hmm. right? So you have to give them an alternative to switch the traditional practices. So that's the effort that we are about to start. So with the, new, with the launch of the new standard, so that's the direction we'll be going mm -hmm. towards. So Ingrid, um, uh, you work for Unilever, one of the world's largest buyers of palm oil. What do you see as the biggest challenge of uh, moving smallholders towards sustainable farming practices? Um, as Unilever, we run a number of smallholder programs, particularly in Indonesia with, with palm smallholders. And honestly, we don't see, we see a huge amount of uptake and motivation amongst smallholders to join programs to become sustainable. There's oversubscription to programs which give smallholders access to knowledge, access to training, access to resources. So. Motivating smallholders is not a challenge. It's the scale um, and the diversity of the smallholder base, the distribution of smallholders, so we find, um, and then the many facets of and complexities of the problem. So there is, there is very, fairly low levels of knowledge. Um, the services available are limited. The distances are far. So we know there's a lot of interest. We see a lot of enthusiasm. We see smallholders very willing to change practices, in, keen to be involved, but there, there is this scale um, and distribution and, um, and the time that it takes to get people from practices that they have to, to new practices, to practices to, that they have no knowledge of, that are, that, are, yeah, that are new, that are more advanced, that are better for them. So I think, I mean, the... the interesting and good part about sustainability is that it's it's a win for a smallholder. You see better yields, you see better management of pests and diseases, you see better management of plantations. Um, so there's positives for the smallholders as well as it becoming sustainable, certified sustainable. Mm. Um, you mentioned the time frame and Ashwin did as well, that it takes a long time um, for that shift for smallholder practices to move towards sustainability. How fast do you think things are moving? 
I think there have been, um, with the certification, for example, available at the moment, it is quite complicated. And so that has been a limiting factor to getting people to move really fast. I think with our new RSPO smallholder standard that's coming soon, that that should start to shift some of those timeframes lower the barriers, bring people in and, and be a bit more inclusive so that the timeframes between when a smallholder engages and when they start to see returns financially from being sustainable, those those timeframes become more compressed. So I think you can see practice change very fast, but obviously agriculture, palm, they're long, they're long life cycle crops, so there's other elements of change that take a long time to manifest. Mm. Okay. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenge? I mean, your family background is in uh, farming, right? Yes, palm oil yes. farming. My what... father is a palm oil farmer. Right, yeah. Yes. So, so what do you see as the biggest difficulty, the biggest challenge of moving towards sustainable uh, palm oil farming? Yeah, as Ingrid said, that um, we are also facing the challenge uh, how we can uh, promote the sustainability among the independent smallholders. And um, the first is so uh, we have because we have the three categories of the smallholders in Indonesia. The one is um, beginner. beginner. Beginner means this is the 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 new the newcomer for in the palm oil. And the second is um, they are um, medium and then advanced. So, uh, but uh, the three of the categories of the smallholders they have they face the different um, challenges. Uh, for the beginner, for example, um, mostly of the smallholders, the new smallholders now, so they are come from the rubber uh, land, right? And then they are moved to the palm oil farmer because the rubber is, there is no, yeah, the, the, the price is not uh, good anymore. So they, they move to the, 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 to move to the palm oils. And the, 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 and then when they want to enter the, the to the sustainability, the big challenge for them is about the legality of the land. Even they are manage their own land, but the problem is sometimes the smallholder they didn't have the 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 letter from the government of the legalization of the land. Even this land is not the forest, right? And this is the, uh, the this is the requirement from the RSPO that they have to have the legal uh, the legalization from the government. The second thing is the knowledge. Um, mostly of the smallholders, they only see from the company how to plant the palm oil. They didn't know how to plant the palm oil. So why mostly of the smallholder they planted the, the second uh, seed, not the best seed. So this is also the impact will impact to the production of the palm oil. And then the, the third is the support, support from the government. In Indonesia, for example, the government, our government only support for the, for, for, for the meal, but they never support for the independent smallholders. This is the big challenge for us because um, if they are not get support from the government, so they are very difficult to go to the end of the system or to go uh, to implement the sustainability. Another thing is uh, incentive from the buyer um yeah uh, actually we also hope we, this is also our our perhaps uh, in the future uh, more buyer uh, can support for independent smallholder how they can like uh, provide the program or uh, buy the, uh, the 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 FFB as physically this is also um, our our dream in the future and another thing is the cost the sustainability is the cost they have to implement the sustainability the standard 
they have to have the record, they have to have the training, they have to have the, the ICS, ICS means the, the best organization, they have to have uh, like um, uh, good management inside of the group. So that means all of this, this is the, the course. So this is the, the big challenge for the smallholder. Wow, okay, yes. lots, lots of challenges there. Another yes. challenge that, yeah. that um, everyone in this room has, has faced is yeah. um, working on the yeah. RSPO's yeah. uh, smallholder <coughs> standard, right? Ashwin, um, yeah. can you tell us a bit about that, the challenge of, of setting that uh, new standard? Yeah, as Uki mentioned earlier, so um, when it comes to certification of smallholders, um, there have been many challenges in, the, I mean, in terms of legality, in terms of uh, changing their existing practices because they've been following certain practices uh, mm-hmm. for a long time. It's also about change in mentality, right? So the, the RSPO principles and criteria that we had in the past was developed with, uh, for, with the intention of uh, the, uh, certifying bigger plantations. So the smallholders were never not, not really in the picture when developing those standards. So those standards were created a huge barrier for smallholders to come in. So uh, we've been working with smallholder certification for the last uh, what uh, 10 years or so, and we've managed to get about 100, 150,000 plus smallholders certified, but there's millions out there. So RSPO adopted a, a smallholder strategy uh, together with our members, uh, adopted a smallholder strategy in 2017, aiming at uh, improving the livelihood of smallholders and also uh, simplifying the certification process and making it accessible. And when we, we talk about smallholders as one entity, but actually there are many, many variations of what a smallholder is, I mean, even within a country, within a district. So there was one, one size fits all approach would not work. So uh, a couple of years ago, we, uh, as part of the review of the principles and criteria of RSPO, we constituted a separate uh, task force, uh, again, a multi-stakeholder task force to think about what is it that we need to do in, term to, in, in order to get more smallholders come into the RSPO framework. So through an extensive consultation process that went, I mean, in all regions and uh, workshops and meetings, so what, what came out clearly was that the standard smallholders need time. You need to think about giving them time and take them uh, take a continuous improvement approach to get smallholders certified, because the previous standard was like uh, black and white: you're either certified or you're not certified, and uh, that doesn't work with the smallholder reality. So the biggest change we've worked upon in the and that was also the biggest challenge in getting people uh, accept this uh, continuous improvement model. So what we are working towards is uh, setting up a three-year uh, program, a three-year certification process for smallholders. Um, and also bringing in incentives right from the beginning. So you uh, the, and the thinking behind the three approach is you create awareness, get smallholders uh, understand what is sustainability, commit to certain practices and stop certain practices at the beginning, and then give them a couple of years of training and support to actually start implementing uh, some more additional requirements, and then another year of full implementation of the standard. So this phased approach is what uh, we are trying to, uh, I mean, launch this year to, and hopefully that will bring more smallholders into the framework because it gives them time and the space and the incentives to yeah. change practices. Yes. Yeah, a key part of that standard, as, as I understand it, is to allow smallholders to start making money, to start earning um, sooner rather exactly. than later after they've got the certification exactly. right. Um, so Ingrid, from your perspective, how do you see the RSPO smallholder standard and what, what do you as a company want to get out of it? Yeah, so we've been a long time and big supporter of the existing uh, certified smallholders, so we're a big buyer of certificates. So this for us allows us to, um, with the smallholders we're already working with, to bring them into the RSPO house and to certify them 
quickly. So we think we can almost overnight double the number of certified independent smallholders um, who are ex in, in existing programs. But more strategically, it allows us to um, support a big part of the market. So that's both through direct programs with smallholders and through the purchase of certificates of smallholder um, oil or smallholder premiums. So it, it, it's for us, it's a way to engage with a, a part of the market that we, you know, that is otherwise for a consumer goods company quite distant. Um, and it gives assurances. I think the other part, there's a balance in the smallholder standard that we've tried hard to achieve between including smallholders um, and changing that inclusion where smallholders have been largely excluded or found it too difficult or found the barriers too high. So bring them in, but also set a boundary around sustainability and standards and, and, and enable smallholders to do that through pledges and through access to education. So the standard then enables that sustainability change over time. That's interesting. I'm just interested at the extent to which um, Unilever gets involved in putting together the, the standard. I mean, do you also, um, do you guys uh, go in the field and visit uh, smallholder plantations in Indonesia? Yes, absolutely. So we also manage smallholder projects with a number of partners in the field. Um, and we have been using the existing RSPO standards for smallholders, but we will now obviously be very enthusiastic to start implementing with, with our partners on the ground the new standard and seeing how that allows us to reach more people, provide incentives earlier, give that market access that and that those market incentives deliver to smallholders much faster. Um, Uki, yeah, so you mentioned on the topic of incentives, um, what's the best way to incentivise smallholders to adopt sustainability practices. Indeed, um, the, the experience of your, your father might be interesting as well. Yeah. Um, his journey as a, as a farmer mm. um, towards sustainability, perhaps you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, actually, the incentives can, uh, can come from um, each party, from, like from the government, from the market, and also from the, the meal. So, um, for example, uh, if this, it, for, 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 from the market, for example, we are need them uh, to provide the program how they can how the smallholder can implement the sustainability because this is very important to them because uh, mostly of the smallholder they want to implement the sustainability but they didn't know how to do that so i think some uh, buyer or maybe the company have to provide program how to support the smallholders this is i think this is also the incentive for them right and another thing, uh, incentive is uh, how the buyer also can buy their product um, as physically or maybe credit. Just so I get an idea of just how much more expensive is certification for smallholder farmers? Uh, depend on the, because we have the beginner and then uh, medium and also advanced. For advanced, this is, I think this is quite um, uh, not, not really expensive, but for beginner, they need time, a long time, maybe three years or four years. So that means long time, meaning uh, a big cost. It's hard to put a number on the cost of certification for smallholders, mm -hmm. but we do know uh, it come, it's quite an expensive process because they have to change, uh, they have to implement a lot of uh, mm -hmm. all the requirements. 
And on top of it, there are lots of additional independent assessments that they need to go through, like yeah. identify HCV, high conservation value areas in your uh, uh, concessions, or conduct a social impact environmental assessment. So there are many other assessments beyond the audit itself that they have to do in order to become RSPO uh, certified. So that adds cost to the entire process. Yeah. So as RSPO, we've also worked on simplifying, uh, coming out with simplified tools uh, to reduce the cost for smallholders to come into the uh, certification process. So that's one area where we've been working on in the last few years and we have some tools already available uh, through um, mobile-based tools, offline tools that uh, smallholders can conduct these assessments themselves and identify no-go and no-go areas in their concessions to proceed with oil palm plantations. The other uh, aspect is uh, in terms of incentives is uh, what we need to think about is about also about the livelihood aspect because uh, when it comes to certification there are certain practices that are not allowed which means yeah. if you're a smallholder farmer and then you have a two hectare land and then that land happens to be on peat and our standard says you're not allowed to plant on peat so what what is the and if that's the only source of income of that farmer so what where does that leave that farmer right so we can say that okay you cannot plant on peat but that does not stop them from going into any other crops there's no incentive for them to conserve that piece mm-hmm. of land. So there, uh, that's an area that we have to, as, as the sector, we have to think about like what kind of alternative ways can we incentivize these farmers to uh, get certified and still conserve that piece of land. And that's not something that only our SPO and its members can be uh, can resolve because that will also involve uh, working with the governments because you're going beyond like alternative livelihood and uh, income sources for the farmers. So that needs a much more broader collaboration and thinking. Uh, I mean, we, we, we don't have an answer for that solution, but that's an area that we really have to uh, think about and work on. Going back to the standard again, it, it was two years in the making, um, I understand, right? Um, what sort of impact, bigger picture, what sort of impact do you hope that the standard will have on you mentioned that the livelihoods of, of smallholder farmers, but also the market overall. Um, we have about, in general terms, we say about 40% of the production comes from smallholders in oil palm, right? So, mm-hmm. and then, like I said earlier, we've probably certified a, 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 a very small percentage of that number. And the challenges we talk about in terms of getting them organized and uh, get, uh, the changing of the giving them time to change those practices, that's been the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. So this new standard allows uh, for smallholders to um, take the time and get them organized and uh, bring them into the RSPO framework even before they achieve full compliance, like implement all the requirements. So that's what we call the eligibility phase in the smallholder standard, so that the entry-level requirements, whereby they make some (coughs) commitments and uh, and also implement certain requirements at the eligibility phase that, like, um, for, in order for them to come into the system. And what we've also developed is the incentive mechanism, right? So as soon as they commit to that eligibility, meet those requirements of the eligibility, they are already allowed to sell a certain percentage of the volumes and get incentivized by the market. So the market, uh, we've also worked uh, with the market players in Gritis here and there are other, other companies who've been actively involved in this development process in the last two years who express support in, uh, in this approach so that once the smallholders come into the framework, meet those eligibility requirements and also see that there is an incentive for them to change those practices, then we hope that will uh, drive the uh, uptake of certification of smallholders. Tashwin's point about commitments, um, one set of commitments that the big consumer goods companies have, have set for themselves, very tough target of zero deforestation by 2020, the Consumer Goods Forum. How important are smallholders 
to help big companies like yourselves of, of hitting targets like that? I think, like Ashwin said, they're an important part of the sector. You, you can't ignore them and we can't... We, we need to think about them as being representative of the volumes that are there. So that's why we engage extensively in, in field programs, in buying um, smallholder credits, in, in supporting the certification of bringing smallholders into the system and of of making sure that, that they can enter, that, that they can become RSPO certified, that they can understand what what there is a market desire for in terms of um, sustainable, deforestation-free palm oil. I'd like to ask final final question for, for all of you, starting with you, Yuki. How do you see the future of sustainable um, palm oil production and what does it mean for, for smallholders? Our dream is how the, all of the independent smallholders can go in the system and then they implement the sustainability as a norm because they have to do that. Yeah, so you mentioned, like, just to follow up on that, you mentioned yeah. livelihoods. Sustainability I, is must. Yeah, absolutely. But yes. I understand one problem with that at the moment is the low price of palm oil. Yeah. So even if you adopt sustainable practices, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the low price of palm oil is an issue. Have you, have you mm-hmm. found that that's a concern among smallholders? Um, actually, yes. But uh, now there is also the big problem in the ground that the, the, the price of the FFB. But the, the, actually, there is another issue. Why the price is low? Because the productivity is low, right? The third factor is also the bargaining position of the smallholder with the company, right? Sometimes the smallholder they they didn't they never know the the standard of the price the best price in the ground. So because of the sustainability, they will know about it. For you personally, um, how do you see it? For me personally, um, for me. I'm from India, right? We were chatting about this earlier. So I'm from India and I, um, palm is a commodity that is crucial for India uh, when it comes to food security. And uh, I mean, uh, looking at the increase in uh, uh, population and the demand uh, and uh, livelihood uh, uh, in- improvements in India. So the demand, the, the consumeristic lifestyle leads, uh, calls for more and more and more uh, product-based, uh, how do you say, I mean, uh, I mean, it's just increasing. It's the biggest so, buyer globally of yeah. palm oil, India? India and Indonesia more or less right. uh, um, consume approximately about the same amount of palm. Mm. Uh, I think it's about 10 million tons or so a year. And um, so bulk of the uh, imports into India also goes into the uh, in the, into the public uh, sector where we distribute it to the poor people for food security because that's your essential fat in India. So for me, uh, palm is an, any, for that matter, any agricultural commodity, the dem- demand is not going to go away. So it's a reality that we have to accept. I mean, be it especially agricultural crops and food crops. It's, it's, it's something that we have to accept. And for me, when we talk about uh, sustainability certification, I, I think we should not think of, of purely about uh, limiting uh, uh, compliance or whatever. We should take a much more broader landscape level approaches to see how can we use the, whatever resources we have, not only in terms of producing what we need, but also making sure that the livelihood of the people who are in, the, in that jurisdiction is improved. Ingrid, how do you see the future of sustainable palm oil production from the perspective of smallholders? Indeed. I think what we ultimately want to see is a is a smallholder being a professional farming business that small holdings are resilient agri enterprises that are investing in the the 
good performance of their soil, their water, their forests, their land, that people are able to earn um, a good a good income from a crop that is well managed and that people are have the respect that they deserve in this in this professional small farming business. So I think that's ultimately the future we're looking at. That's a great place to leave it. Thank you everyone for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, thank you. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business at the SDG Co, a co-working space for sustainable development organizations in Asia. EcoBusiness is Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. This podcast is part of the series Palm Oil Conversations, sponsored by the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.